for anybody watching on YouTube, no, you are not seeing double. <laughs> Two bald guys wearing T-shirts. The same T-shirts, similar glasses. I just have a beard. It's my dad over here. Um, Farzi, Farwell for hire. It, we're into June, which tells me that uh, the campaign's still going on because you always go into June. So what are you doing today? So let me just be clear about this. It's not really June the 2nd. It's May the 33rd. Yeah. Okay. This is how I do this just so I can keep some level of peace on the home front. You know, eight years ago in 2014, when I did the first one of these campaigns, the idea was to do it for the month of May because that's Cystic Fibrosis Awareness Month. In fact, the idea that first year was to do it up until the day of the walk, which is always the last Sunday of May. And I think that year it was around May 25th or 26th or something like that. And then I was going to take all the money I collected through the month up until that point to the walk and make the donation. But the campaign caught so much attention and, and got so busy that I continued it right through until the end of the month. And yeah, now here we are. It always, I mean, if I ended the campaign on May 31st, who stops on a Tuesday? Like, really? Like, I'm not a quitter, okay? There's no quit in this old kid. So I always kind of knew it was going to go until May the 36th, a.k.a. June the 5th. I will tell you that as of the moment of this recording, what I'm going to do after my shift at the radio station today is go out and do some garden edging and paint a shed. But I'm pleased to say, like, I'm, I'm focused. Like, I'm hard focused on this task because after that, there's nothing really strenuous in my future we're going to do a a beer garden and pop-up food thing at the rnt park on friday afternoon i'm going to be out selling some antiques at a store uh at southworks mall in cambridge on on saturday we're going to do deep fried asparagus at berries asparagus on sunday so i mean i'll be there i'll i'll, I'll not be at home but i won't be doing any really hard work so if i can get through the gardening and the shed painting today baby i'm in the home stretch here we go Wow. Uh, so after a strenuous morning, both doing a podcast and gardening, then you get a nice little afternoon. That's right. Right. Well, that's good. Um, Farwellforhire.com. Make sure to go on. You can still donate, I'm sure. Right, Farzi? Absolutely. I'll take Sorry. donations right up to the last minute. We're trying to get to a $140,000 fundraising goal. So as the man said, farwellforhire.com. You can donate right there. It's really easy. Or if you don't want to just give money to cystic fibrosis, uh, take a chance at winning tens and tens of thousands of dollars for yourself. Our 50-50 draw, as of the time of this recording, up over 23000 It's only going to go higher. We make the draw on Monday, June the 6th. You can get tickets right now at rangers5050.com. And of course, when you buy those tickets, half the money comes to cystic fibrosis. Half the money goes into the jackpot, which you could win more than twenty-three k and counting. A lot of money, Mike. A lot, a lot of, money. of money. A lot of money. Um, I was just thinking about, uh, that campaign and everything. And when we were last in Windsor, I remember Manny and Beller coming down and handing you some money for the campaign. And I was listening to their broadcast last night because it was game seven of the Western conference final. And after all that talk you and I had, and many people around this league heading into the playoffs, that this might be the year of all those upsets. This might be the year we see some underdogs. It's the top seed from both both conference in the OHL finals. Go figure, right? It is. And that means that nobody could come through and steal their way 
to the conference final. Just a quick reminder on that front. Our proud partners on this podcast, Waterloo Region Crime Stoppers, I feel it necessary to remind you that it's a group of volunteers that administer the Crime Stoppers organization in Waterloo Region. They do tons of great work. Watch for the annual Mo Norman Golf Tournament coming up uh, this summer. In fact, later in June, I'm pretty sure is when the date's going to be. But check them out anytime at waterloocrimestoppers.com. If you're not familiar with the Crime Stoppers model, uh, just remember, your tips that you make to 1-800-222-TIPS remain anonymous. And if they lead to an arrest, you get a cash award. It's as simple as that. It helps us keep our communities safer. It helps police do their jobs because you become the eyes and ears. So 1-800-222-TIPS. If you see something that you think police should know about, you remain anonymous. You could get a cash award if it leads to an arrest or go online at waterloocrimestoppers.com and support the hardworking volunteers that administer this organization in town. And I, I wondered about what you were saying, Popey, the top two seeds getting through. And in all honesty, especially when Windsor went on its run in the second half of the season, remember earlier, like they were kind of a preseason darling for pick a pick in the Western Conference. And then the way the season started, nobody was really sure if their preseason prediction had been correct. But Bill Bowler went out. We've talked about that on previous podcasts. He made as many moves as he felt he had to, which turned out to be six. He got himself a bit of a different look to the lineup. They go on that run in the second half, and everybody kind of assumed that this is where we would end up. Hamilton, Windsor. I'm not convinced it's a great thing for the league. I don't know what you do about it. I don't know if it's something that needs to be changed, but I'm not convinced it's a great thing for the league. You don't do anything about it because it's a great thing for the league. Is it? Yeah. The best two that teams. You know, in, in January. Best two, best two teams are in the final. I guess. Yeah. I'll um, give you that. That's how you look. The hell out of the NHL. Right. Best two yeah. teams are in the final. Uh, there's not many years you're going to see a, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight team in the OHL make it to the final. So you can basically break it down to, you know, your top four, at least, if not your top three from each conference by January or February, most years anyway. Um, there's very few upsets in the OHL. That's what we talk about. It's not just in the first round, it's every round. And I'm just excited that both of the conference's best teams, we're going to see the best two teams in this league go head to head. And I think <laughs> we were talking about it last night. I really don't know what's going to happen. Hamilton obviously is a, is a buzzsaw right now, like so good, but Windsor's that team that just, I don't know. They're so fast. There's, they have so much offense and apparently they're getting goaltending now because when did that happen? Xavier Medina comes in, wins game six in relief, and then shuts out Flint in game seven. Flint's been putting up crooked numbers all playoffs. And then you get a team like Windsor, who normally loves that run-and-gun style. We talked about it, Mike, during our broadcast on uh, in the second round. For a team that loves the run-and-gun style to go out and shut out the Flint Firebirds. Says a lot about that hockey club. They got a big task ahead of them, but kudos to Windsor. It and in saying too, I might have to call Waterloo Region Crime Stoppers because I think it was criminal how much you and I underrated the Flint Firebirds. Apparently, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, and you mentioned the buzzsaw that is the Hamilton Bulldogs. We'll get into just how much of a buzzsaw the team is, but great point on Flint, like. I just want to give a huge shout out to every one of the kids on this team, considering, I mean, we know the history of the organization. We, we documented it again earlier this season when 
the off-ice troubles continued and there's an essential ban for life from a former member of the front office there. And you're just shaking your head going, oh my gosh. But I, I think credit has to go and a lot of it too to Ted Dent and the rest of the coaching staff to obviously keep these kids focused on what's happening on the ice. But full marks to the kids for responding to that, shutting out the noise, obviously, and doing what they did. I'm sure they will have a, a restless night or two considering it was overtime game six late in that first overtime period that Windsor got the winner to force game seven. So those ones will eat at you when you were in that position where it was a, a one shot wins kind of thing. But no matter what, I, I don't think, I, I know they're probably still feeling it right now as we talk, but uh, the Firebirds and every member of that organization has nothing to hang their heads about after the season they put up and they took a really good Windsor team to the wall in the Western conference final. I never would have expected it. And there they were doing their thing. Kudos to everyone involved in making that happen. Yeah. I think that one will, uh, that one will hurt till Monday and then you just get over it because what is, what a season. Like Great you season. broke every franchise record that you have. I think you won your first playoff series, not to mention you go to the West final to a game seven. What else more do you want? That obviously, I know everyone wants that OHL championship, but still, that's you. You let it sit in, you let it sink in, you take some lessons from it, you move on, right? Like that. What a great season in Flint, and after it got off to that rocky start, as you mentioned, it was it was nice to see that Firebirds uh, organization turn things around because. I think you and I have talked about it on this podcast at length, just about how excited we both were to see Flint go on a deep playoff run. And we wanted to be there to see it. And of course it's the year where there's, you know, no very little cross border travel and we're not there to see any of it. And I was, I was just happy to see them go and the building was packed. It was good. Yeah. I I just want them. The only thing missing now is bring back the hot tub at the door. I want the hot tub seats back. I want to see fans having fun in the hot tub while the game's going on. Anyway, I'm curious what, what our friend uh, Dom Henning is thinking. He leaves in the first year he leaves. They win their first playoff round. Yeah. Why you got to be Dahmer. that way? Why you got to be that? Poor Dahmer's such a good guy. We Man, love to have better. him on the circuit. We love what he's doing now. But why you got to put that knife in and twist it a little bit? And listen. No, uh, no slouches, Jack Snevites, who took over for Dunker there in Flint. So great call in game six. And if you haven't seen the Andrew Parrott overtime goal for Windsor, go look it up because it was nasty from the get go. What a pickup by Bill Bowler. The Spits have not exactly taken the easy way, I would say, to the OHL final. They went, they went six games versus Sarnia in round number one, which surprised some people, obviously. Benjamin Godreau had a thing or two to say about that with the sting uh, five games against the Kitchener Rangers. So a little bit smoother in round two, but I, I still maintain it was missed opportunity by the Rangers in the first two games in Windsor, the Rangers split, but they could have had them both, I think. And then it would have been a six game series either way, five games there. And then down three, two having to win game six on the road, go home to win game seven in round number three. So Windsor again, not the easiest route to the OHL final. And what do they run into? Just for, just real quick. It wasn't the easiest route all season for them though. Right. Remember they started off as those preseason darlings and then yeah. they took a nosedive out of the gate and everyone's like, what's going on? Their power play was at like 10%. And then they just, <laughs> anyway, I just want to point that out. Interesting. No, absolutely fair. And again, like we talked about as the uh, second half got rolling and, and Windsor lost like one game on home ice through 20 or some ridiculous number. I mean, you could see 
that they had put it together. So now they, their reward is meeting the Hamilton Bulldogs in the OHL final. Now, I, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the podcast last week, so forgive me, things get a little bit blurry. I know I brought it up on the Fridays with Farwell Rant, which you can also find on our OHL Stories YouTube page. And I'm always reluctant to do this ahead of time because I, I'm way too superstitious for a guy that's just a broadcaster, but I don't want to be the jinx. I don't want to get emails from people in Hamilton. I don't want my buddy Reader, Reed Duthie, like chirping me because I brought it up too soon, but I think fans should know kind of what's at stake here. So I was just looking as the Bulldogs swept their way through rounds one and two, and then you weren't convinced, and nor was I, that they would sweep their way through round number three, which they did. So this is what I started looking at. I knew two things for sure. The, The best playoff run in the Ontario Hockey League to start a playoffs is 14 and 0. That's held by the 2019 Ottawa 67s. Sweep, sweep, sweep for 12 and 0. Then they take the first two games of the OHL final against the Guelph Storm. Now they're 14 and 0. And then Guelph comes all the way back and <laughs> wins the next four. So that was it. 14 and 0 to start a playoff. And then the 67s lose the OHL final. So now at 12 and 0, the Bulldogs have that record in their sights. The other record is held by the London Knights who have twice finished an OHL playoff 16 and two. They did it in 05. And then I think again, it was in uh, 16 or 17. I'm forgetting the number. Anyway, they've done it twice. The kitchen Rangers had a chance to beat that in 08. The Rangers were uh, 12 and one going into the OHL final versus Belleville. They win the first three, the Rangers do. So now they're 15 and one and on the poise of an OHL final sweep. And then, oh yeah, Belleville Bulls decided we're going to make a series of this. Won the next three, took it to seven. It was an incredible series. But the Rangers then, of course, finished 16 and four in the uh, in the playoffs. So 16 and two is still the best mark. Obviously a number that the Hamilton Bulldogs have a chance of besting, tying. We'll see. But at 12 and 0 coming into the OHL final, those two things, are on the table here's the here's the crazier part like just and i'm not making any of these numbers up as i was looking at the playoff records i decided i I thought to myself i think the i I think the bulldogs finished the season the regular season pretty strongly too so i started looking back and indeed they did they won 10 in a row to finish the regular season so you take 10 wins to finish the regular season now 12 in the playoffs they're 22 and 0 in their last 22 games, but wait, there's more. Then I started thinking, I remember a time towards the end of the regular season that you and I saw some ridiculous stat about the number of games Hamilton had lost since the trade deadline. So I went back further in calendar 2022, the Hamilton Bulldogs. So since January, I think their first uh, January game was January the 11th after the trade deadline with all the postponements and stuff. Either way, since the calendar turned, to 2022, the Hamilton Bulldogs, playoffs included, have played 51 games. 51 games since January 1st, 2022. They have won 47 of them. They are 47 and four this year. It's banana land. And when there are only four losses, you can easily rhyme them off. Twice to Kingston, once to Peterborough, and in overtime to the Sudbury Wolves. That's it. 
the Hamilton Bulldogs are 47 and four since the beginning of the year. That's all. That's, uh, that's impressive. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know. Like, the, yes. Yes, it is. 47 and four. What's, what's that winning percentage, Farzi? <laughs> it is about 926. Is that good? Uh, in, in any sport? <laughs> absolutely. But like this, it, yeah, I don't even know how to explain it. Me either. That's, yeah. uh, well, it's just impressive, like I said. But that's, that's the best thing about, about sport, right? Like, even in the OHL, any given Sunday. Sure. 47 and four. Well, yeah, that's great. Windsor just, they've been playing hard nosed playoff hockey, had to tough it out against Sarnia, had to battle back against Kitchener, had to battle back against Flint. What happens when Hamilton gets down? Do they know how to battle back? I don't know. Mason, listen, hey, listen, they brought in Mason McTavish and Arbor Jacki, and that's great. Those are two really big pieces. How much playoff experience do they have? Yeah, it's it's a great point, and and I'm I'm fairly certain uh, we're going to find out what the Bulldogs are made of because the Windsor Spitfires will not go quietly into the night. Uh, but I just I cannot get over that record in the past 51 games, 47 and four and quick shout out. You mentioned Jack I and, and McTavish, my boy, Nathan Steos. I think he got the uh, OHL stories podcast bump. I was pumping his tires the other week. There's your OHL defenseman of the year. And a boy, Nate. And I'm just playing devil's advocate. I think Hamilton is a steamroll all the way, whatever they want it be because they're so <laughs> nasty. But anyway, I'm just, I just, I just like the idea of, I mean, I know what you mean about it not being good for the league, about just having the top two teams in each conference meet in the OHL final. But I do like the idea of the two best teams coming together and really showcasing the OHL. Um, and both teams are the best team that are playing right now in the playoffs for sure. So I, I, I like to give Windsor a chance, but that's, I also gave North Bay a chance. <laughs> so here we are. And I think your point on having the best playing the best at the very end is, is a good one. I just think about the fans in, I don't know, 14 to 16 markets in the Ontario Hockey League once the calendar turns and the trade deadline comes around on January the 10th. You kind of know uh, what your team's prospects are from there, and, and you're still looking at three months of hockey and probably 15 to 20 home dates that you still want to put bums in seats for. So it, it's it's a mixed blessing for sure, but I, I don't disagree that at the end, this is probably how you want it to look. So It is, but every, every sport has that, right? Like, do you think... Hey, I'm a Red Wings fan. <laughs> Do you think I really had high aspirations for this year? Sure. Yeah. Good <laughs> you know point. I mean? And yeah, I that happens every year. Like every fan base knows Erie knew coming into this year that hey, we're not going to the OHL final. Kitchener knew, hey, we're not going to the OHL final. Just part of it. So speaking of the best, the man we're about to hear from on this episode of the podcast is not only a great storyteller. I mean, just just fasten in and enjoy, like get those AirPods in perfectly and just, oh my gosh, you're going to love it, I'm sure. And there is only one player in the entire history of the Ontario Hockey League that has put up more points than this guy. It's incredible. We talked a lot about Windsor. If only he had made that decision 
<laughs> to come back. Three, count them, three straight 100-point seasons in the OHL, an OHL champion. He won the Red Tilson Award. And as Mike mentioned, second most points all time in the Ontario Hockey League. From Welland, Ontario, Wayne Grew. There's so much to talk to you about. Uh, third most points in OHL history. Probably not the least of what we're going to talk about, but I wanted to start with Dalen. How's Dalen doing? Because we loved watching him with the Owen Sound attack, and I know he followed in your footsteps over to Austria. How's your boy? Well, thanks for asking that. Yeah, Dalen's doing well. Um, he just uh, came home actually last Wednesday. My wife and I picked him up at Toronto Airport. Uh, he's home now. He's working for a, a nice uh, sports outfit here in the, in the region, uh, uh, Front Row Sports out of uh, Thorold. And there's a store here in Fort Erie, and they asked if he wanted a summer job. So he's just training there every night this week uh, till seven. So he should be home soon. Um, yeah, so it's going good with him. Uh, he got into playing the last game of the season, the playoff game uh, with UPEI. Um, he wasn't playing because he had a heart problem through the COVID and, uh, and the vaccines. And uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't good for a while. Um, you know, he was pretty nervous about it. And, and we were obviously as a family too. And it was affecting his workouts and training and that. But uh, he was there for the the uh, the second semester at uh, the university, and and um, coach was great to him. The teammates, everything was was really good. And then he had a doctor. Results came back. Um, uh, he had, he was tested and everything at Christmas, and then they came back, and everything was fine. His heart was back to normal, and uh, and he could proceed with his proper training and and uh, cardio and physical and stuff like that. So he was excited and couldn't wait to get a game, you know, he wanted to play. Right. So, um, yeah, so everything there is good. Uh, a little bit before that, when we went to Klagenfurt in, in Austria, like you were saying there, uh, it, what a whirlwind it was, you know, I, I hope we have, you know, a lot of minutes that we could talk, but this story, I, I got to tell you this story because if you're not close to the family or to, to us, not knowing it, 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 it it's, it's a great little story, but so he was in Owen Sound and uh, and Kitchener. Uh, what a rivalry! I was at every you know every game. I mean, I never missed a game uh, other than maybe one in the Sioux or Saginaw or Flint that I couldn't get to. But um, yeah, great rivalry when he was in Owen Sound with uh, with Kitchener and, and London and Guelph and all those teams. But so when he was dealt to Ottawa, he went over and you know what a team they had, right? They they were first in in the CHL and you know planned on a nice playoff run and whatever, but, uh, COVID hit. And, uh, but before that I was, uh, my wife and I would, we went to Ottawa a couple times and Marco Rossi, I'm sure you guys know Marco, right. In Ottawa and, uh, as an Austrian boy. So, uh, I got to, I'm watching him and, and, uh, I know that, you know, in Ottawa in the, in the concourse level, you get to see the parents and the players after the games where we would go and, and meet day and whatever. And, and I seen this kid, walk out in his underwear and he's going to meet his family and that. And, and I know it's the Rossi kid just from on the ice. So I walked over and I said, Hey, Marco, you know, how are you? I'm Dalen's dad. He goes, Oh, Mr. Gru, you know, in that perfect German accent and stuff. Hey, eh? so right away, it's kind of clicking back to me from, you know, 30 years ago when I was there and uh, yeah, you know, I, I said, Hey, you're, 
good young hockey player, you know, and, and thanks for taking care of Dalen. And he's Dalen was on his right wing. And I hope Dalen's taking care of you on the ice and, you know, making some room for you and stuff. Oh, I love playing, you know, I love playing with Dalen. We're best friends. Yeah. This, that he says, I have to tell you, I have, my father's here. He wants to meet you. He wants, he, he wanted, he asked me 10 times if Dalen, if dad, Dalen's dad was Wayne, was Wayne group. So anyway, I see him and, and he looks over two tables over. He goes, dad, dad, come here. So here comes this guy and it's, and it's Mike is Michael, his dad. And I didn't really know him from, from years ago. He goes, Oh my God, Wayne group, Wayne group. You don't know this. You're my idol. He goes, you're my, idol. I, I played in Falkirk when you were in Lustenau and you were in Graz and you were in Klagenfurt. He goes, I, I just love you. He goes, I loved you. I go, Oh my God. You know, that's pretty cool. Right. And he's hugging me and whatever. And, and uh, he says, guess who's here. I go, who? He goes, do you remember Patrick Poloni? I go, yeah. So Patrick Poloni and I were teammates in Klagenford and his brother Oliver and I were teammates in Graz in Austria. He goes, Patrick's here. That's Marco's agent. He's with his agency. Patrick's a big agent in Europe and, and now North America. He's based in New York City now. And I go, come on. He yells over, Patrick. He comes walking over and Patrick Poloni, you know, he's six foot two long hair, great, good looking guy. You know, he was always in, in great, great shape. He still, he, he looks like he could play. He goes, Oh my God, Dalen's father. I find the Wayne girl, get over here. Now he's hugging, we're hugging and stuff. And it, he goes, Oh my, I, I knew it. I knew Dalen was your son. <laughs> I knew it. He looks just like you. And I've got to see him now for three, four weeks when I haven't seen you. And I said, yeah, this was my first weekend here. We got to see day play. And so anyway, I, I, you know, hooking up with, with these guys and, and it just happened. And again, I'm not a big uh, uh, MMA guy or whatever, but there was a big fight going on and there was a snowstorm in Ottawa and he says, Hey, uh, where are you staying? So we're at the hotel and okay, are you okay? Your wife let you out tonight. I said, yeah, no problem. No problem. And uh, so my daughter was there too, but so they were good at the, at the room and he says, okay, I'm coming to pick you up, go back to the hotel. Tell me where, text me this text. Me. And again, I'm not the, the phone texting guy and the email and the social media guy, right? The, okay, yep. Here, here's my phone. You put your number in, whatever, and I'll reach in. Sure enough, within half hour or so, we were at uh, one of these local bars and they had the, the fights going on. It was packed. And this, so anyway, Mike uh, Rossi walks in and, and Patrick Poloni and they're moving people over and getting tables and getting chairs and stuff. And we sat and had a couple of Coors Lights together for the rest of the night. It was, honest to God, it was a, a great meeting, but I just wanted to tell you it was so, oh, so, so anyway, real quick, how I want to finish this is, so Patrick says to me, he goes, Wayne, it's Dalen's last year, right? Like, you know, uh, there's overage, whatever, but if, if there's not overage and, and you don't know who Ottawa is going to keep and what direction he goes, let's just get him his citizenship. Let's get him his Austrian passport. I go, are you serious? He goes, yeah. So I'm telling you from that night to less than three months later, Back and forth to Toronto a few times and a couple phone calls at the embassy in Ottawa. My son got his passport and his citizenship and he became an Austrian citizen and skipped the overage year. And Patrick Poloni worked out a deal with Klagenfurt. That's where I finished in, in Austria. And Dalen went over as, a, as an import, but as an, an Austrian to be because the proper paperwork wasn't finished quite yet. By the time he went over in uh, uh, October, 1st of October. Everything by the time he played his first game was done and complete. And he played as an Austrian citizen. So he's now an Austrian. And it was, it was unbelievable. And then I went to, I went with them 
planned on staying two weeks. I ended up playing, they're staying six weeks because we both caught COVID over there. So yeah, you know, good and bad with everything. Right. I'll tell you, that's that's not a story though. Yeah. That's a hockey life story, right? Yeah. (laughs) Sorry to bore you with it, but not at all. That's what this podcast is. Anybody who listened to that story and then to know, you know, that I played with Patrick and to see Michael Rossi there and, and the fame and fortune that his son, you know, stepped into being a first round pick with Minnesota. I mean, it's, it's a storybook. It, it, it was just so nice. I can't wait for 25 years down the line when your son's now going to his son's game and then someone's going to come up to him and be like, you were my hero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> How did you get your Austrian citizenship? What? Oh, my dad. Yeah, I know. Hey, he's, but just, he's, you know, just a coincidence. If Dalen wasn't traded to Ottawa, I wouldn't have seen Patrick Poloni. And, you know, yeah, we probably could have, take this taking this course or these steps to get there but definitely not as quick as they were and, and as easy as they were now do you think he's getting more knowledge from his time over in austria or more knowledge from dave maroney working at front row sports uh, <laughs> oh boy you know what hey dave dalen come home two nights ago and said you know dad dave the owner there he come over he says anything you need help with anything i'm in your corner kid i've known your dad for 30 years and you're, you come from a great family and we have a great background. So yeah, you know, it, it's unbelievable, really. The amount of big name, like hockey players that have worked at front row sports. Yeah. You could, you could write a book. Yeah. Like just yeah. on the big name players that roll through there. Yeah. Um, I, I got to ask you watching your son play in the league. Was it more difficult watching or playing yourself? Oh, way more difficult watching way more because well, the, the, the the first thing is, is if I had my son's uh, toughness and desire to win a puck battle and get your nose dirty and fight a 20-year-old as a 16 or 17-year-old, I'd have played for 15 years possibly in the NHL. You know, or again, I'm, you know, I'm facetious saying that, but I played as a little finesse guy and I let I'm sure we'll get into, but I let Tockett and Probert <laughs> do that stuff where my son said, oh, no, no, I'll do that stuff. And I hopefully still could put the puck in the net because I know I could shoot and I can be a pretty good skater. But, you know, he he plays a pretty solid game and, and all around game, you know, and and yeah, sometimes he, you know, crosses the line too. And 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 what I'm getting out of a watching, boy, oh boy, it was like you know, every second shift, I'm grabbing onto the, the, the arms of the chairs going, Hey, no, you know, keep your stick down or, Oh, you don't need to drill that guy. Not that this time of the game, you're up by four, you know? So all that learning stuff, you know, uh, was, was up to me to teach him. And so, yeah, but, uh, boy, if I had his heart and desire and strength and, and, uh, willingness to get dirty, um, yeah, I would have been more of a complete player again 30 years ago and things might have been different, you know, for a small guy back then. You kind of read my mind there, Wayne, when you talked about the guys that you had that did that stuff so that yeah. you could lead the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds in scoring every year that you were there. And, and by the way, just to go back half a step, I meant what I said about enjoying watching your boy play in Owen Sound. He was built for the Bayshore, his yeah. style and him. Anyway, that said. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah, you, you didn't have to do that because you had a guy like Bob Probert and yeah. Rick Tockett with you yeah. on that team. What's that like for a finesse player knowing that basically that's your ice surface? Because if yeah. anybody messes with you, they got to answer. Yeah, but you know what? 
I'm going to tell you, you know, again, with, without the social media back then, right. It was just, we, we, we hung in the afternoon. We, we ate our pregames together. Most games we went to the rink and, and that was it. Like nobody knew anything. Right. And, and, you know, we hung around, we were pretty tight. We were pretty close. And, and my dad told me early, like during the, my first season, when, when I had success and, and I was putting the puck in the net, he says, you know, these guys on your wing, you treat them like they're your brothers. You treat them. They're going to be your meal ticket, but remember something and how you sell it to them is you're going to be their meal ticket too, because when they're big and strong and they're not, they're not the finesse or, or smooth skating guys, you could become that, the, 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 the uh, you know, the, the glue to make that line work for them when they're going to roam the wings and they're going to create room for you. You make sure you tell them, get me the puck in the slot or top of the circle. And eight out of 10 times, guys, we're going to be regrouping at center. So you guys, you go get dirty, get your nose dirty, but I'll tell you right now, you're going to be on the, on the score sheet. You know, hopefully I can put the puck in the net and it worked out like it worked out great. My first, my first year there, I was lucky. Um, I never played wing before I went to the Sioux and crispy put me on the right side with Ronnie Francis and Ron handy was on the left wing and it lasted only man, five, six, seven games, maybe because Ronnie, we were in Kitchener, we were in Kitchener and, uh, um, oh my God, the, uh, I mean, Francis come in our dressing room in, in Kitchener Memorial Auditorium. And he come in and said, you know, Hey guys, uh, uh, for the first year guys, I hope you got to know Ronnie Francis good. And, and you're friends with him now because you probably aren't going to be building more of a friendship anymore with him this year. This is his last game playing with the Greyhounds. He's coming to Hartford and, uh, you know, Ronnie, you're going to have to make, you make sure you talk to you. Obviously he was talking behind the scenes, but you make sure your parents get the remainder rest of your winter clothes up to Hartford. So well, getting back to that is I was playing with Ron and, and again, I, I had zero goals, four assists, one goal, six assists, one goal, nine assists. So I was, I was right. I got to say, I'm going, I'm feeding this guy, the puck, he's scoring, I'm feeding this guy, the puck. So I was going wide and working and, you know, doing some work in the corners where, wow, I, I wanted to be in the middle, you know, I wanted to say, you know, but uh, Ronnie get uh, getting called up was was you know worked out for for my junior career worked out great. It would have been awesome playing with him for one two three four years, right? But with him being called up, it gave uh, it gave Crispy you know a reason to to maybe put me in the middle. Uh, they still had one or two older guys you know playing at center and that. But uh, that one that's when I really got my chance to to establish myself and and. Uh, it didn't take long for Terry to see that, you know, he wanted to match lines. When I was coaching, I would do the same thing, right? You, you try to match two guys together on a line. And, and uh, you know, I played with Terry Tate, who was six foot three and tough guy, you know. And uh, when Proby come into town playing with him, Steve Graves, another guy flies, was just out there flying around on the left wing. And then a little guy that uh, – Sam McMaster brought in was Mike Lococo in my early, early years there in the, in the Sioux. He was the fastest guy on, for, on our team for sure. And we played together just in and out, in and out. And, and again, talk, it was on the right side saying, okay, you guys, let's go. You guys like two little mice on the ice and I'll make sure I create some room for you, you know, but talk and I, we became best buddies back then. And, 
and it, it was it was awesome when Proby was there. I, I only know I only knew Bob on the ice after the ice after our games or practice. He kind of did his own thing. Had a had a you know a couple couple buddies that he hung with and stuff. But uh, on the ice, we we were best buds. I would tell him feed him. Uh, you know, in the dressing room or on the bench, hey guys, we got some room over here. This defenseman, he's brutal. We're, you know, we're Crispy's putting us out against the third pairing, or this guy, you know, let's go, let's go work him, dump the puck in there, you know, in that corner, we'll get things done. And yeah, it was, it was a really, it was, it was a, a big eye opening experience for sure. How we fed off each other. We, and, you know, myself in the middle with, with right and left wingers, we, we all had a job to do, we all knew it. And we got it accomplished. And, and to, you know, to say it wasn't hard, it wasn't hard. Like it, I see these guys now, the shape they're in, like it, I can't imagine Like you know, I see my son, what he does in the summers to get in shape, whatever, but it really was, you know, how the guys would tell you years before we, we, you, I would go to the YMCA in Welland. I grew up in Welland and, you know, ride a bike and spray some water on me and, and, and lift, do some curls and whatever. And that was it. Right. went to training camp to get in shape. We would run, run around the rink a little bit and, you know, to, but to see the work these guys put in now, I mean, that now it's hard, right. It's hard. It's an off season's hard. The competition is just, it's so hard, but um, yeah. So you mentioned obviously ran Ron Francis, 1700 plus games, you know, his careers writes itself. Yeah. Talk, talk to me. I like watching talk on TNT because I can tell that he's still not afraid of anyone and he will deck anyone in the face that comes near him if he wants to. Yeah. And then you have arguably, and I don't even think arguably the greatest tough guy to ever play the game and added offense in Bob Probert, who as Mike knows, I'm a Red Wings fan. I loved Bob Probert. Yeah. But as a guy who didn't have that in their bag of tricks, when you're looking over and you got talk it and Probert, what were some of the things said to you on the ice? Like, because I'm well, sure you score the goals, and they're like, "Hey, you better watch it, man!" And then you're yeah. Just there was a lot shoulders. of there was a lot of hey, get out of the way, hey, get back up. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the the, the brawl with Hamilton, the Steelhawks, the big brawl on uh, on uh, CHCH TV, right? So some guy hit me in the boards, kind of a little bit behind and whatever, and you know, I kind of chirped and said what I said something to him, hey, whatever, and then it kind of kind of started from there and Rob Vescio, little guy, I think he's from Sudbury. We, we actually connected and we're talking as we speak kind of, uh, cause he's got a son playing in, yeah, I think in Mississauga in the OHL, but, um, anyway, tough guy. And he got in a big fight with one of the guys at the blue line. And then, and as soon as that fight happened, I don't know if you could see it, but anyway, there's a couple guys trying to get at Bob because they knew, um, man, one was Del Garno the big guy, Brad Delgarno. And then he had another guy too. And I kind of go, geez, and he Bob's going, get out of here. He's looking at, I thought he was mad at me, right? He's going, get out of here. So I'm kind of backing up and this Delgarno guy, he's, he's reaching in and I seen him th- wanting to throw a punch or And I grabbed him and I kind of threw him this way. And all of a sudden Bob, you know, he's dropping his gloves. And then when his, when his lights went on, it, his eyes went, you know, every direction. Right. And then, and then, and then now, so now he's boxing and this guy, he could, you know, he threw him both hands. Like you guys watched a hundred of his fights and he's, he wants to throw, you know, he's throwing uppercuts. He's thinking he's, he's Muhammad Ali in there and it's a show and he, he ain't losing. Right. So <laughs> it was just like, Oh my God, I, I got the best seat in the house, but I'm still scared. I'm, I'm going, Oh no. You know, I'm looking around going, come on. 
I'm, I'm ready for somebody to jump me and I've got to go somebody. And, but, uh, yeah, there was, there was two or three times that lasted for probably a good, I don't know, like we went into intermission and, and it started one corner and we went all the way down the ice to the far end. And he, he looked after me almost as much as he beat everybody up that he fought. Like it was and, and honest to God, like it was, and I'm going, Oh my God. And I, in between periods, like, again, people never got to see it. Right. That, you know, hugging and high fiving and, you know, kissing and whatever we did, like, it was just, it was, it was, you know, Graham Bonner, another, another, how about, how about, you know, him, how he played. Right. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it was just a crazy, it was a crazy afternoon of hockey there but you know that happened more than a couple times chris brandt we had a another we had a we had a fight uh, again i'll get changing from that fight story to we were playing kitchener in the uh playoffs and we were in the sioux and oh my god carmen vanny was a guy on on uh, playing in kitchener and he was their tough guy big italian guy right nothing against italians but kind of like one eyebrow and and hair all over and he looked like he was 40 right and uh, and we're going oh geez and they were going at it and so chris so uh, uh pro b and and chris felix our captain at the time and so we're all hyping chris brandt up and calling him chief right chief he's native so we he had a he come in with headgear with with the with the feathers and everything and he goes oh that's it boys I'm going right to center and I'm standing there like this I go oh geez what are we in for now this is pregame this is be this is warm up right we never even started warm up brawl you know and oh, it was it, it was it was good I I you know I wish I remembered more of everything that was said or you know things that could have been captioned more and but uh, yeah geez you know and, and here I am I'm blushing and. I'm, I'm sweating just talking about these stories because the memories it brings back, it's like, wow, I'm 18 again. And, and, you know, and things like that don't happen anymore. Right. Every, every rule and league, you know, it's just, it's taboo now. Right. So later that same playoff, I was curious about another time you mentioned playing Kitchener, swept them, then you get the bye, you give up a single point to Hamilton in the third round, but then the OHL final, and you're up against the Peterborough Peets. Yeah. And as I understand it, before one of the games in that OHL final, the Peets were watching your game day skate. And Proby didn't take too kindly to that. No. No. Well, what happened was so we go 33 and 0 at home, right? And then we cruise through the we cruise through the, the playoff rounds till we get to Peterborough. So game one in Sault Ste. Marie, Peterborough comes in, they beat us. Right. So now it's like, oh, geez, we just we lost at home. And again, game two tie. I think it was a tie. So we were down three points to one. So we're going into and at that time, Crispy's lost his mind. Right. He's like, oh, my. So anyway, so, you know, so we got a nice long bus ride. And you know what I'm going to I want to tell you, tell you guys and and, and the, the people listening. All these kids that complain about bus rides man they should be all whacked in the back of the rear end they were the best times we had so much fun on the bus like it was it was that was that was our gathering spot like that was our you know we got to talk about everything on the bus and stuff so we had so we were sleeping all over and yeah that was it was the bus rides were fun so but anyway yeah so so we go to peterborough and then uh um 
So we got there the night before, got checked in a hotel. We go to the morning skate, day, uh, day of the game. Morning skate, no crispy. So nowhere to be found. So we got Mike Desjardins, our trainer. Mike was Mike was crazy, great guy. Uh, you know, like he was so he was wild and and he kept us on our toes too. And so we go for the morning skate and and so we're all dressed. We go on the ice, still no no crispy. So we get on the ice and we're skating around. There was there was just a handful of us a little early. Uh, Proby was one. I was I was on. Chris Brandt was on. Chris Felix was on. I think Timmy Hoover was there too. And and so we're, we're just skating around. And so we see the Peterborough team and they're, they're skating after us. So they're there and they're, they're by their dressing room, the entrance, a gateway into their rooms. And uh, yeah, so they're all, you know, they're taping their sticks and all sitting and the whole team, like there's, there wasn't three guys. It was, there was 15 to 20 guys and they're taping their sticks and, and hooting and hollering. And they, cause they got big shoulders, right? They just knocked us off and they're winning the series, leading the series. So anyway, so, uh, somebody throws a pucks on the ice that's still in the bucket and Proby says, Hey, go get that effing bucket and bring it over here. So we're at center ice. Right. And he goes, put those, drop those pucks, drop them right there in front of us. So I dropped the pucks. I'm not, I'm not going to say, no, you do it. Right. I'm dropping the pucks. I got, this, I got the gentle giant. Right. And I could see his eyes and he goes, watch this. Okay. And I'm telling you, he says, as soon as I shoot one, somebody shoot another one. And, and we're going to rifle all these pucks. There's 50. Right. So I drop the pucks and I go like this to throw the bucket back to the entrance of, of, of our bench. And I hear a bang. First one off the glass ping. Second one in the seats above these guys. So now there's four five, six of us taking slap shots. And now our guys are all racing over to center ice and we're taking slap shots at these guys over the glass. And, and they're all, they all ran just like a bunch of, you know, and it's just what we wanted to see. That's, I honestly think that's what we needed. We needed, you know, to have that, bring that fun back into the atmosphere around the team. Um, you know, we got to get our cockiness back. We got to, we got to get ourselves ready and, and, and prepped and we got to get the hatred on. We didn't have the hatred for anybody to come into the Sioux. We were beating everybody. Right. And this team comes in and knocks us off. And, and then that's where I really think that's when the seat, the series started and, and there wasn't one guy left. There wasn't one guy watching our, our practice. So coaches must've seen or heard or whatever and called them in their dressing room, but they were gone. And Crispy never came on the ice. And there we were doing some line rushes and, you know, quick three on twos and two on ones. We were on the ice for 15, 20 minutes and boom off. But we got in the dressing room. Oh my God. It was, it was like we won. We already won that night's game at 11 in the morning. Right. And, and it just set the stage for the rest of the day. And then we went, we beat him that night. I'm yeah. not sure. I'm not sure a coach needs to say anything. If Bob Probert's wiring clappers at you, I think you just get the heck out of the <laughs> hey, arena. We're gone. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm, I'm on the bus and I'm hopping back to Peterborough. I don't yeah, care. Right. I'm yeah. out of here. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. <laughs> that, that's insane. Um, you, you talk about crispy and how he wasn't there. You, you weren't a typical Terry crisp type of player. Yeah. Um, but what was some of the, like, what was the relationship between you two? Well, there, there was, there was no relation, no relationship off the ice. He, he didn't really have a relationship with any of the guys, or at least that I, that I knew of, you know, other than his captain, other than the captains, like my first year, obviously I, you wouldn't see him around town or you wouldn't, you know, there was, so there was, there was nothing like that. There was, and again, there was no social media, there's no media, right. There was no, 
before the game interviews and who we wanted to bring to this interview or who, you know, who was going to represent the team and talk in front of the mic tonight. So there was none of that stuff, but um, listen, he, Terry Chris was a broad street bully from the Philadelphia Flyers heydays. Right. So, you know, and, and he brought that, he instilled that in us. We all had to, you know, even, even I had, I had to, I had to be as tough as I could play and as tough as I wanted to play, but, you know, he made sure he reminded me if I wasn't, but um, he, he loved, you know, he loved the Terry Tates and the Huey Larkins and the Rick Tockets and the Bobby Proberts and the Ken Saburns and Jeff Bookabooms. Those were his guys, you know, like not that he didn't like the rest of us, but the Sam Haiti was another guy. Wasn't there long with us, but you could see crispy, crispy, just, that was his guy, Britt Peer, another guy tough as nails. How about Britt? I don't know if you guys have contact or been in contact with Britt, he's built like Adonis and he's 48, 50 years old. Like he's still in great shape. This guy was, you know, they, him and talk were not an ounce of fat on these guys. They were, you, you could, you know, they were shaped of clay. Right. So, you know, and, and, uh, and again, getting back to how we, we all fed into each other though, is, you know, crispy, crispy had to know, again, I don't want to think for him, but I would just say that he, he knew that, for as much as he cherished those guys and pushed those guys and worked those guys and praised those guys, you know, he knew that their success was going to come a lot by playing with myself and Mike Oliverio and, you know, smaller guys like, like us and, you know, uh, getting the puck to them and being finesse and being the, being the, uh, the finesse in the line and stuff. So, you know, but our, our relationship, I mean, back then, and, you know, my, my dad was hard on me. My dad was like, you know, he, he when he said, this is the way it's going to be, I didn't say, but why? Or I didn't say, are you kidding? Or, but dad, it was like, you go and do it. That, you know, that's the, that's the uh, authority figure. And, and that's the, you know, uh, that's the way it was. Right. So when, when Crispy would say, I need you to get in there head first, you went in head first, you know, like, Back then, if, if, if the sun was out and it was clear and he said, this freaking rain, you know, like it's raining out and it's black out and I'm doing it, then you know what it was? It was black rain. and it was raining. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, not like today, right? Not like today. The kids today, what are you crazy? Like, what are you, I'll, I'll do things on my terms, coach. Like, I'll go in when, when I want to get in, you know? So, but you know, yeah, there was lots, lots. Oh my God. There was lots of road trips where we come down, we Maple Leaf Gardens. Uh, and I got two shifts and came into Branford and I had 25 family members come in from Welland and, and Port Coburn and, and Fort Erie at the time. And I had six shifts <laughs> and it was just, it was something that he would, he would just do to, to set things straight. Uh, let me know that he's the boss you know, uh, and, and again, I, I never, I never questioned it. It was, it is what it is. And, but when I got my opportunity and I can, I, I told, I told, uh, um, uh, I've kept in touch, uh, since Dalen was playing in the OHL with Randy Russon in the Sioux. I'm, I'm sure you guys know Randy. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, Randy. Beauty. Yeah, yeah. He is a beauty, right? He says things, he, he, he'll piss people off. He says it straight and you know, whether you like him or not, He's been a fan of mine since the days I played and he, he's been really nice. And, and, uh, and he, you know, 
he, he was one of the guys in my corner back then. And, and, uh, you know, was, was again, nice when, when my son was playing, but you know, there, there was times when boy, you can hear crispy yelling at me louder than the fans were during the game or after a goal, you know, we'd score a goal and he'd be yelling at me to get off and like, okay. But I got to tell you that there was a lot of goals that I scored. And if you saw me jump into the glass or bang my hand on the glass, you know, I would, that was my way of getting voicing my opinion or voicing my voice to say, yeah, sit me again, put me out in the third period when we're down three, one, and we end up winning five, four or five, three. And I did what I had to do. See, I wonder if that's the mental. I swear to God, guys, there was a lot of those games. There was, you know, I I forget what, what season it was. It might've been my first season. We had uh, Richard bone was a, a 20 year old centerman at the time. And, and uh, Crispy really liked him. He's a good guy. Richard was a good, good player. He really worked hard, and uh, he was just 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 uh, just focused on on hockey and all that. And we had a home and home with Sudbury, and we were we were in the, the scoring race together, and we were within a point or two or whatever of each other. And and um, yeah, I I was we went into Sudbury. I had six or eight shifts ended up with a point or two and, and then we came home and I never saw my, I made a play one shift and I never saw my second shift till the sec sometime in the second period. And the fans were yelling, we want Wayne. We want Wayne. I don't know if it, it, it forced him a little bit or he felt bad to put me on the ice. Anyway, I, I think I finished with three points that game and I won the scoring title again what a big feat 66 points but i remember it and you guys remember it and anybody who looks at the stats you know stat sheets from back then will say geez the kid led the team for four years and come in as a 16 year old but i had to fight through that like you know i just didn't sit there and and look look down at my skates and 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 cry right so i had the i had thick skin i uh, you know i maybe that's the best thing that i got out of playing for crispy was I got thick skin at an early age and you know what I I it made it made me it made me want to you know want to give it to you and so yeah you said something earlier that obviously we were going to talk about you can't just let a comment like that was the year we went 33 and 0 at home pass uh and I think anybody that follows sports is fascinated by excellence I know I am at some point, Wayne, that season, it had to start sinking in that, oh, geez, like we're, we're on the verge of something. Something's happening here. Yeah. What do you remember of that run and when it started to sink into your mind that something was happening here and then all of a sudden it became, we got to finish undefeated at home? Yeah. Well, Sam, I really admired Sam McMaster. He did a great job for us in the Sewer GM at the time. Sam was a good guy. I knew Sam a little bit uh, in the summertime, too. Sam was a big baseball guy. Uh, there was a guy, J.D. Yari. I don't know if you ever heard of J.D. He ended up, he did play in the Sioux a little bit with us, hockey, but he was a good ball player from this area. And, there, and Welland had good baseball, AAA baseball. And uh, Sam was a baseball guy too. And I played baseball growing up. I probably, I, I almost probably was a better baseball player than I was a hockey player. A lot of people probably don't know. Um, so back then, uh, I, so I knew Sam for a little bit and Sam, Sam made some trades, some, some 
pretty, pretty shrewd deals that year and, and brought in Wayne Presley and, and, and uh, some guys to, to finish our team off. And um, Chris Pusey, uh, not Pusey, uh, Mosey and net, right. Chris uh, Mosey, Scott Mosey, he come in and, and uh, maybe was the, the final piece in net that they thought we needed and stuff. So um, yeah. So Sam made some big trades and, um, it got to be 10, 11, I, I think, you know, pretty early we were, we were on this wagon saying, guys, let's keep this going. It was a probably 11, 12, because we started passing, uh, certain winning, uh, games, old Sioux Greyhound, uh, you know, I think, I don't know if it was 20, 21st, I think. So the 21st game was huge. And then, the, then there was a 20, I think 24 was big and something with 27. And then it got, you know, then we were already, and there's this guy in the suit. I got to say, is I got to say a shout out to him, Chris Zapatowski. He's the, he's the Mr. Sue St. Marie. You guys have to see him on Twitter Absolutely. and oh, stuff. Yeah, we see him all the time. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. he's got the uh, helmet on with the light. Anyway, I got to meet him when Dalen was playing in Owen Sound. I drove the last two years uh, to the playoff series up there. And there I was in the stands with him. And he was again, what a good guy and to see some, uh, to see I know uh, Dalen talks to him a little bit on, on Twitter and stuff. And he, and Dale come home and tell me, dad, how about this one? Or dad, how about, you know, this? And I go, no, but can you show me in there? And I, and I'm squinting on his phone. I go, Oh boy, I got to see this on the computer where I could actually see it. But these, these, uh, the pictures and, and, um, and stat sheets and gate and game sheets and summaries and all that. I go, Oh my God, where does he have these things? And he's got every game, right. As you guys, as you guys know, but what a, what a good guy. So anyway, this, so this Chris fella, he started putting up sheets of paper on our, on the wall over our bench on the concourse the top level and big, right. 15, 16, 17, 18, all the way to 33. And after every win, he'd come up with a big red X and put an X through the number. Another one bites it, another game, another game, another game. And I remember, honest to God, he'd come in one day and we're, we're pregame skate or, or a morning skate. Anyway, it had to be pregame because not many times we had morning skates the day before or after game. But so anyway, we're there skating and there he was. And we were tapping our sticks to him. And his, every step he was taking to his thing, we're tapping our sticks, tapping our. When I saw him in Sault Ste. Marie, he goes, "Do you remember when you guys were tapping your sticks when I was walking <laughs> to the thing?" And I put the big guy. I go, "Yeah, I do." He goes, Did, "Who started?" I go, "Me. I started that. How about that?" He goes, "Oh my god." He goes, "That's unbelievable." I, he says, "I'll never forget that as long as I live." Like you know, just a fan, a, a just a, a guy that just loved the Sioux. And, yeah. You know, but we, that was something we really wanted to know. It really wanted to, to, to get, because again, to this day, you, right. You can't tie it. You can't, you can't beat it. You can't, all you could do is just look at it and go 33, you know, like, like it's pretty, pretty big feat eh, for a team to, to finish 33. And our fans were unbelievable. <laughs> and, you know, even just, just going to the rink and, you know, two hours before and the lineup is, is all down main street and, and that old, the old gardens are the seats. And you remember the seats in there crooked on the, on the side, they were tilted. Right. And you got fans sitting there like this half the game, but boy, they, they could, we, it was the best. It was the best. It really was awesome playing there. 
So something on to follow that up, because when Mike and I were up there in 2018 for the Western Conference final, we both talk about it still to this day, just about how we were so impressed with how the town took to the team. All businesses had signs up. There were Greyhounds colors everywhere. It was yeah. like it was like the only thing in town. Yeah. And then we'd come back to Kitchener and you just wouldn't see that same support, to be quite honest. What is it about the, the Greyhounds and, and OHL hockey that seems to lend itself so well to the people of the Sioux. It really is the only thing in town, right? Like when I was there in, in, in early eighties, uh, they had lost the, the, um, the steel mill went down. People were losing their jobs. And then, and, and then the team, they almost lost the team and, and the Esposito's come. And I don't, I don't know the sequences in, in between, but you know, the, the, the rally cry was we lose this team. We lose our identity you know, in, in the hockey world, in the, you draw a map. And the first thing, when you see Sault Ste. Marie, or you're putting, okay, well, we got to, we're going to drive through highway 17 to get out West and we're going to stop. Let's stay over Sault Ste. Marie. Oh yeah. The Greyhounds. It's just right. It's Sault Ste. Marie yeah. Greyhounds. That's how you finish. You finish that, that city as a sentence. And it really was like that. Like the, the fans were unbelievable. It, it really and, and again, walking around town, there was a, there was a, a little delicatessen in front of the arena at the time. And we would go in there a couple times a week and have a, a slice of pie and chocolate pie. And Angelo Bombacco had his, the sports store down the road. And, you know, he, they never asked us to go and do it. Like, again, no autograph signings like there is now or show up here and because and, of press conference or whatever. We would just go. We would go to see Angelo and see his family, and you know, try to get a wristband out of the out of the visit, you know, and walk back. And it, it was, yeah. I mean, every restaurant. Like again, it's not like there was a hundred restaurants. There were probably seven or eight, and they wanted to all be associated with the Greyhounds. Now you go in in the town, you know, it's it's big. It's on the the upper level and they got this and they got the entrance going this way. And now there was one road in and one road out. And, and that was when we, you know, winter in the Sioux, two things, three feet of snow and a Greyhound game every Saturday night. That's, that's pretty much. How, how I think you're being generous on the snow. I think you're being generous on the snow. Maybe six feet, four or <laughs> yeah. five. Well, that's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Boy, oh boy, you mentioned that name though, Angelo Bombacco. Uh, we, it's not too long ago that, that we lost him, obviously. Uh, the media room still named after him yeah. at, uh, what is it now, GFL Memorial Gardens. But uh, what a presence, what, what a man, what he, what he meant to sports in that city. Yeah, you know what? Uh, he was awesome when I played there. And then obviously I lost contact with him when, when I hadn't been around. And then uh, when Dalen was playing there, I, again, I drove into town my first year. I went, uh, my wife and daughter, uh, we drove in town and I, I said, Hey, I'm going downstairs. Like, uh, first of all, I walked into the arena. What a building. Like it's you guys nice, have been eh? spoiled. The it's kitchen the auditorium. Yeah. That, that is the best of all, but this new building in the Sioux and, and again, everywhere, these kids are so spoiled. Eh? Oh my God. But the, the new building in the Sioux, man, I just, I, I looked at, I would sit in a, a seat up top. I, I swear to God, I could sit for an hour by myself and just look around and whatever. And my wife's coming elbow. Come on, if you wanted to go, I said, yeah, I want to go and see, see if Mr. Bumbacco's around. So there I was, I walked down the stairs and I didn't know where I was going. There's just hallways or whatever. And I seen, how about this name? Gino Cavello. 
Oh my gosh, Gino. Gino. Yeah. He goes, he looks out, he's bald as ever, right? He goes, Hey, are you Wayne Grohl? I go, Yeah. He goes, Oh my God. He comes over, he's hey, you gotta come and we're gonna talk to you between periods. I said, Okay, no problem. So right, hugs there and high fives and all that. And um, so he, I asked, Where can I see? Is Angelo around? Yeah, that's there's his room right through there. And sure enough, he was there. And and I knocked on the door and there was a couple older ladies and they were getting a buffet ready or food ready. And it was a media room, right? Yeah, because yeah. uh big thick papers with everybody's stats. I got one. I took one of them and, and I walked over and I said, I walked over and I said, Hey, Mr. Bumbacco, I'm Wayne Grew. How are you? He goes, Oh my God, get her. He had a cane. Get over here. Kitty wax me with a cane. Get over here. He hugs me. I need a hug. How the hell have you been? They go, and I, you know, we're talked for a little bit. He goes, he leans over. He says, you know, these guys here, I told them to draft your kid. I told them to draft your kid. I said, well, yeah, it would have been nice, but I'm here anyway. I know I'm happy to see you and stuff. And God rest his soul. Eh? We lost him a couple of years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Real quick. Just, sorry, Chris. But <laughs> when you talk about that arena, one of my favorite parts of it, Wayne, and this is just because it just happened, is that that wall of fame they have outside the Greyhounds dressing room. Yeah. And we were, we were just there towards the end of the season. And I was, I was looking and looking and I'm like, how can, how can Wayne's name not be on there? The all-time leading point scorer in Greyhounds history. And then, of course, uh, Jerry Liscombe Jr., who's the media guy there now, comes by and says, ah, have to play a game in the NHL. I'm like, ah, oh, come on. Well, it I did. stings a little bit. I did. Yeah, well, I played one game. You, then why aren't you on that wall? <laughs> I, I, well, I get, why isn't anybody contacting me to say, hey, it's been 35 years. Wanted to like to recognize what you did for our city and team. We want to say hi. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. Okay, we're gonna get that fixed. That's it. This podcast yeah, is gonna get that absolutely. fixed. Absolutely. No, but, Come on. but honest to God. So Chris and and so getting back a little, going back to Chris and and Randy Russell. These guys have been, you know, so nice. Like some of the posts that I see and and uh, Randy stories and how many times he's, you know, he said something. And again, you know, how many people read the thing? I don't know. The hockey nuts do the hockey guys do, but uh, yeah, I, I have no idea. Could you imagine? Like, I, I can't even, I can't even imagine that because Dalen's had a handful of his buddies say, Hey, these are supposed to be, I don't even know these guys. Like, I don't, you know, I don't exactly. know. I don't Some know. Names up there. Out of like, 10, yeah. And your dad's done this, that, and the other thing. And he's not on this wall. It's, uh, I don't know. Okay. We're fixing it. Yeah, we can fix it. It's my mission. It's my we, mission, Wayne. I, I promise you. No, but <laughs> how much sense does that make, right? Well, like, it, no, it doesn't. No, it no. just, it just, it makes no sense. Three straight hundred point seasons. Yeah. No yeah. Deal. And you know, you know what over, so I, I saw a lot of new rinks now chasing Dalen around, right? In the last, you know, for over three years there with him. And boy, oh boy, I tell you, I, Again, I'm the guy that I'm okay getting to a game. Like I'll, I leave work early and he's in, well, how about the wall in Kitchener, right? With, with, with the guys, those pictures that are like, like waxed into the, the, the walls. Oh yeah, my they, God. Brian they've Bellows. Done nice job. And, yeah. and those, yeah. So again, I'm sitting there, my wife and daughter, Hey, come on, let's go. We're going to go get uh uh, roast beef sandwich at the road. I said, okay, no problem. I'll see you there. They come back, the puck's ready to drop, and I'm still walking, walking the look, reading the walls and looking at like that's me. That's me. I, I don't know. I, I, oh my God, what a job they did with that. Like, that's so you recognize success, I think, right? And you, 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 you brag about it. It doesn't happen. It's not an everyday thing. It's not an everyday thing. 
not many players have three straight hundred point seasons. I'm just going to say that <laughs> it's, it's so hard nowadays to get a hundred points, but you mentioned before just how the game has changed. And uh, we say that we talk about all the time, the bus rides back in the day, yeah. like you said, that's where you guys hung out. That's where your friendships are made. That's where that yeah. camaraderie comes from. And now with technology, they're all just on their phones and they hang out all the time in other places. So they don't really that's get right. that same type of thing, but we've heard tons of good bus stories from a, a bus driver just not saying I'm done and getting off the bus. I'm not driving you to really? player <laughs> to players being kicked off to one player getting sent with a uh, blanket for his first bus ride, not to sleep, but to cover himself from the smoke coming from the front of the bus. So I'm oh, curious. Geez. He may have played in Ottawa. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just curious if you have any good bus stories that you're allowed to tell. Yeah, not really. And, and, and you know what? We didn't do the, by me not saying anything there really wasn't and and uh, and i'm not uh deflecting hazing and all that we didn't do that we i mean we didn't do that there was one good thing where you know crispy was on top of that sam mcmash sam probably was on top of that but no our, our guys were good at that way um one thing i'm going to tell you though and how about this so three or four of my buddies in the within the last two or three weeks said Talk, it was just talking about you on, on his TNT and about his mom. So his mom had passed away recently too, I think last year, a couple of years ago. And so Mrs. Talkit would make us uh, veal sandwiches for our road trips, right? So this, this is our trips home. So we'd come, so we'd be playing. We're playing in Kitchener and then we're playing in Guelph and we're playing in Branford. And there's Mrs. Tockett. And honest to God, she'd be a big bag. Okay, here's for you. Here's for you. She'd have two on the side. One bag for Rick. Here, Rick. This one's got extra kisses and ma 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 ma. And Wayne, here's yours. Two sandwiches with ketchup. <laughs> and I was the only, I was the guy with the ketchup guy. Honest to God. And and I guess he was telling the story about his mom and the and the veal sandwiches. Eh? Sandwiches. 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 I, oh, I got something I remember because it what didn't happen once. This was like, right. I'm going, yes, road trip. Talk. <laughs> you know, I'm high-fiving him on our way to, to Hamilton and Kitchener and London, because I know I'm going to see not only my family, but Mrs. Talkett too. <laughs> so oh, that's man. funny. You got me thinking earlier, Wayne, when you were talking about arenas and obviously you have the appreciation for some of the older barns. I'm old school that way too. I'm biased of course, because we work in Kitchener, but, if the Memorial Auditorium is not the best arena on the circuit, I don't know what is. The new ones are nice. I get it. But going back to your days playing, are there arenas that you played in besides we talked about Kitchener and the Sioux already besides those two that, that you missed that you really enjoyed being in or didn't enjoy being in? Ooh, I hated Oshawa. Yeah. I hated that little barn in Oshawa. And they beat us one year in the playoffs, four straight to the last two there. Yeah. I didn't like Oshawa. Um, the old Windsor barn, I liked the playing there. Yeah, I, you know, the high seats, all wood. Eh? It was all wood. It was run down and old, like playing there. Um, the London arena, I like playing in London. I like the uh, green and orange. And then we were by the McDonald's, in the back of the McDonald's there off of Wellington Street, I think. It's still there. I, 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 anyway, uh, yeah. Um, the Ottawa arena was good, was nice because it was uh, where the NHL team was playing. So they still had the, the, the rink there, the big rink and uh, it was always nice. We didn't go there often. I think just once or twice in a year, but I saw Adam Creighton. We grew up together in Welland. 
Kingston. I like, yeah, I like playing in Kingston. Blue, blue all over the place. Yeah, Kingston. I like Cornwall. Our first couple, my first couple years uh, playing against Dougie Gilmore there in Cornwall, and they had the, the concrete. The seats were up above. So yeah, I, yeah, I like being on the road. I like playing on the road too. It was, you know, again our our time away um, was, was awesome. We used to stay. Here's another another quick story for you. So all almost all of our road trips, we centered around the Days Inn in Cambridge. That's where we stayed. The Days Inn in Cambridge. And I think it was like on Main Drag or Highway 24 or something like I remember 24. But anyway, I remember that hotel because we'd get there and we'd be given our key to the room, two to a room and boom, boom, we're gone. But by the time we come back, so we have a team meal or whatever, Crispy's gone. Well, after a while, it got to be, where's Crispy? Or somebody would say, yeah, whatever. Well, as it turned out, we when we were, we stayed there because that was that central hub, right? Of You got Guelph, you got Kitchener, you got London, all in that area. After a Windsor game, we would drive and stay in that days in in Cambridge. The reason being is we would always see a team staying there with us. And it turns out that, Larry Mavity was there from the Kingston and there we were. So the players are hanging together and, and again, now I'm just, I'm just putting two and two together and I'm getting four. <laughs> right. So Larry and crispy, they're gone doing their own thing. And, and it was their gathering, you know, central meeting spot too. So I remember honest to God, I remember uh, meeting um, Marty McSorley, right. And they, we were high fiving and, you know, Proby or somebody's or book might have been book saying hey yeah there's marty mcsorley i go hi how's it going i went to shake his hand i couldn't see my hand like i, I lost my whole hand in his hand I got to be oh my god this guy's huge he's six you know whatever he was right and big what a you know and i'm going oh wow we're not we're not in, i think he was within he was with belleville at the time or whatever i heard I said, we're not there only once a year. I go, (laughs) seeing this guy running into him accidentally at center ice or something. But it was, we had, we had good time. Like, you know, we, we would sit in the restaurant and, you know, kibitz with the other, with guys from another team because they'd come traveling through North Bay was another one, uh, Bert Templeton. So North, for some reason, we with the schedule makers, we, we, we crossed paths. Oh, and, um, Brian Kilray was another one. So here's, here we are. And there's Creighton. Hey, Adam, how's it going? Let's go do something. Yeah. Okay. No problem. Kilray and Chris gone. They were doing their own thing. Right. So yeah, it was good. It was good. I love that story. The coaches just try to plan ways. Where are you today? Where are you tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. Before that 85 season, though, you made it to the third round twice, the OHL finals once, according to hockey DB, uh, how, having those failures and then finally getting over the hump in that final year, what was that feeling like? Yeah, it was good. It was obviously exciting and good, but, um, you know, a lot being the first year, second year, whatever, third year, you know, I was more along for the ride. We had some great veterans, you know, like, again, I mentioned, uh, um, Huey Larkin and Lada and, and Steve Smith, the, the little Steve Smith from Trenton, Philadelphia first round pick. He was tough as nails, only 5'10, 5'11. 
uh, Dirk Ruder, my first year, Ronnie Francis, again, these guys, you know, so I was, I was just a guy in, in, you know, in the background, I was good with that. I was, you know, seeing these guys, like I, I didn't, when I got there, I, I didn't shave. I didn't, you know, and I'm looking at guys with full beards. I'm going, how, like, I'm looking at you. I'm going, how old are you? <laughs> I thought this league only went to 19. Right. And, and whew, but uh, yeah, you know, and, and then, so it got to be that, the, my third and fourth year. So I took more of a leadership role. And, and then the last year, you know, Chris Felix, again, great, great leader. And we had Book and Kenny Saber and, uh, you know, Steve Graves talk, obviously. So, you know, we kind of just, we, you know, how many times are we going to do this? Let's go. And, and, and then again, like I was saying, Sam made a couple early moves that we knew as players, we knew coming in pretty much coming into camp that they were going to do everything they can to, to, to help guide us, put us over the hump. So it was up to us. It was on our shoulders, right? They put the, they put enough talent on the ice and the mixture of, of skill and toughness. And, and um, yeah, we, we, you know, we showed, we, we rewarded, I think too, Crispy and Sam and, and uh, management too, with, with, uh, you know, pretty solid efforts for most, most games. I think we lost 11 games that year and, you know, we were a good bunch. We, we, we didn't, we didn't get in trouble. We, we weren't trouble in town and, and, you know, we knew the consequences and it was simple, you know, again, when Crispy talked or Sam talked, it was, that's the way it was. And we knew you screw up, you're going home, you're going home, no second chance. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the way I I was too, even, you know, coaching junior uh, back home here. It was, you know, if, if I got to put the time in and I'm going to be here and I I'm at the rink till 11, five nights a week, with a young family at home and I going to sacrifice and I got to do this. You could do it. You're 16 and 17 years old. You for sure could do it. Right. So yeah, that's, it's, it was, it was, you know, it was good. We, that, that last year. And again, you know, we got to the Memorial cup and God, we disappointed like you, know, me, me, uh, especially I, I went there, everything I thought was good. And we were, we were working and we were trying and, but they had game plans, you know, like they, they scouted and they, they knew who to isolate on and they were watching us. And there I was, you know, I was skating, I had one or two guys, you know, right on my shoulders. And, and, uh, I remember my dad telling me, you know, Hey, hey, if there's somebody with you, if there's some one guy skating with you and not only not, and you got two guys within five feet of you, then you go and, and you go shadow one of their other forwards that aren't with you, you go shadow one of those guys. Now you're skating with three guys and they're, they're three forwards, two for sure. So, you know, that was, you know, like it was a game within the game, right. Yeah. And, you know, it got me off my game for sure. And, and our line didn't produce the way we, we had been for the whole, the whole season and playoffs and it, it threw us for a loop for sure. But we went in and, and, and again, not even playing our best and we were still two and oh, we beat the two Quebec league teams and the first two games and boy you know what what a, that Shawinigan rink we had we are we smelled more like beer than sweat after the game we, it was it was unbelievable I don't know if you ever seen that building back then the fans were right on you and they were spitting on you and throwing stuff on you and oh you know but the that Prince Albert team if they played like that all year they I, I don't know if they lost a game because they were unbelievable. That Danny, Danny Hodgson guy, he was unbelievable. Oh, here I am with a scan going on. Uh, cancel. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That's all right. That's all but, good. Uh, yeah. So you talk about that 
Shawinigan rink, but wasn't that 85 Memorial Cup? Didn't they have to move that to Drummondville for well, better? both rinks? Yeah, both we rinks, played yeah. both. Yeah. Two rinks, yeah. 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 Why? The one rink was really nice too. The Drummondville rink was nice. Right, because it was better for yeah. TV, I think was the reason that they yeah. 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 But Shawinigan, what a hole. And that's where we opened up game one. What a dump. It was terrible. Whew. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. we, we, we've taken a lot of your time, and I, I don't want this to end, quite frankly. But we haven't, even, <laughs> we haven't even touched on something that I'm, I'm very curious about. And I'm thinking about it even more when you talked about those nights that Crispy just, you know, gave you a shift at the beginning of the game and another one late in the second period or whatever. Because... You graduate out of the Ontario Hockey League, Wayne, and I'm not trying to pick out a wound here, but but you finished with only two other players having collected more points than you, Stan Drulia and Dale McCourt. And and only Dale two and more I are points. tied. Dale and you tied, right. So like just two more points. And do you ever look back and say, GD <laughs> screw like, you, Chris? Yeah, like I mean, <laughs> another power play, a phantom assist somewhere. Yeah. I mean, damn. Yeah, yeah. But, but... I do, I do more now because I'm talking to you guys and I do, yeah. I, and I have been now in the last handful of years because I've talked to Randy and I've talked to Peter Ricci up in the Sioux. He was another guy who reached out just this past year. You know, Peter in the Sioux? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah very so, well. You know, and, and, but, uh, yeah. Okay. So how about that? Let me, here, let me go one more story. Okay. Sure. So, please. All right. So finishing the Sioux. Yeah, no problem. Now I still got an overage year eligibility, right? I only played six, my underage and, th- and three years. I only played four years. So I got one more year left if I want to play. Well, everybody left, right? Crispy gone, Sam gone. Okay. So I go to, and then I, it didn't even, it didn't even phase on me to go back and play as an overage, right? Because I was, I was signed by Quebec and I'm thinking, okay, I got, I got a shot. I got a, I got a shot. I played, I played five exhibition games. So how about, yeah. So two little stories in winter runs. My last game in my first camp, we played Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. I scored two goals against Ken Raggett. Okay. Right. So I'm, I'm second star of the game. Go back to Quebec two days later. Hey kid, Michelle Bergeron. Hey, well, first of all, trainer, Hey, Michelle wants to talk to you. I go, perfect. We're down to about four extra guys at camp. He goes, Hey kid, he goes, you know, you're young. You're, you know, you're not so big. We got this guy we bring in. uh, Oh my God. uh, Sauvé. J.F. Sove. Remember that little guy? Oh, my God. From the Buffalo Sabres? Yeah. Right? Okay, so so we got J.F. Sove here. And and so, I, so I'm so i in the room now, all camp. I got Dale Hunter sitting beside me, Peter Stashney, two guys beside me, right? So Dale, hey, Gruller, like calling me in my, a nickname, like my nickname. Hey, where'd you go last night? What'd you do? Where'd, me and Bruce Bell. Where'd you and Beller and, and, and Gillis go last? Paul Gillis. Right. What you guys, you always wanted to know what the young, what we did, where were we, where, what'd we do? Ah, we went out for a bike. Yeah, did you go anywhere? No, no, we got nowhere. We went nowhere. Right. So yeah. Okay. So I got this guy and I got this guy and then here's Sobe walking in with a cigar in his mouth and two coffees, right. One for him 
And he walks through the dressing room and goes to the coach's office and drops one off to Michelle Bergeron. Right? And there's Dale going, look at that fucking rat. Oh, oh, sorry. Look at that rat. Look at that rat. Right? And I go, huh? So anyway, now, right now, Michelle Bergeron calls me in. Hey, kid, whatever. Yeah, I want you to go down and you go play defense. You learn your play defense. Hey, we, we got that. We got the small guy, power play guy. So hey, we, we trade for him, man. We trade. Got to play him. We got to play him. We call you. We call you. Now, you know what? I'm still waiting for that call. I'm still waiting for that call. 35 years later. Hey, Mr. Percheron, how's it going? Nice uh, to hear from you. Uh, you know, Things so, are good. but, but uh, so that story. And then one more I'm in. So I go to, so Quebec gets sent down to Fredericton. So I'm in Fredericton. A uh, lot of uh, older guys were there. We were half at the time. Fredericton express were half to Vancouver. So Quebec and Vancouver sent their players there and a lot of older guys, a lot of older Claude Julian. I sat next to him in the dressing room. Uh, he was there with us in Quebec and, and, um, Gary Lupel, these guys, um, Craig Cox. I lived with Craig Cox. How about that guy? Six foot nine, him and Proby. Do you see their fight? The best fight ever in NHL. You remember that one? I do. For Yellow sure. jerseys. You have to look it up. Yeah. You'll, you won't regret it. Oh my goodness. The best fight ever. And I'm living with this guy. So guess who moves in after Richard Zemlack. You remember Zemmer? He was a, he was a tough guy. We've actually kept in touch. Like, Oh, I could tell you another story. But anyway, so, okay, so I'm in Freddie Beach, Fredericton, they called it Freddie Beach. And then I get sent to Muskegon in the IHL, right? Muskegon Lumberjacks. I go to Muskegon and, and uh, I get a call. I've been, I'm, t- I'm still in a hotel two days after that. Hello, Wayne. I go, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, Mr. Webster from the Windsor Spitfires. I go, yeah, Tom Webster. I go, yeah, hi, how are you? He goes, hey, he says, listen, I, I, I just want to make this quick. And you're a good hockey player, man. He says, would you ever think of coming back to junior if I could trade for your rights? I'm thinking, oh, so, so listen to little naive 20-year-old Wayne Grew. But Mr. Webster, I'm making $25,000 Canadian in the minors, whether I play in Fredericton or Muskegon. He goes, well, geez, I can't compete with that. He says, but how about this? You want to come back and break every record in the OHL? How about that? So there, remember you just asked me 10, five minutes ago, that was my ticket. I think to how about playing another 60 to 65 to 70 games and the numbers I could have put up, right? Yeah. You'd have numbers that would never be touched. Never Never be touched. touched. Yeah. Wow. How was Windsor that year? They didn't win it. I I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I I know they didn't win. I think Guelph won it. I think Guelph won that year. But yeah, talking about, you know, getting back to the numbers and that. So yeah, like, I don't know, like even my numbers now at 477, there's not the, you know, the, the good players, the the excellent players. Now they don't play enough games to really, I don't think to, to chase that record, you know? And the young guys they're don't up, get ice right? time. They're, playing. they're up and playing. They so. are. It's it's untouchable for sure. And a lot of the young guys, when they come into the league, they don't get as much ice time, as I'm sure you know. Yeah. But yeah, they don't get as much ice time to capitalize on those points. And then if they do have high points, then they're out of the league early. And That's right, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. What's the uh, Zemlock story? It, it, it sparked an idea. Okay. So okay. Zemlock. So yeah. So we're living together and, and exhibition game we're in. So we had a home and home with Calgary and we played at both farm teams. One was Fredericton. That was our home game. Okay. Quebec. And Calgary was Moncton at the time. That was their farm team. So we had a home and home Calgary and Quebec played in both Moncton and Fredericton. So we're in Moncton and we're playing the game and, and there was the clock was running down the first, the first period. It was a one, one or one, nothing game, whatever. And we're playing the clock's running down and, and Zemi's on my right wing and I'm out there and Tim, you remember, you know, Tim Hunter, right. The biggest nose in hockey. Right. So anyway, play goes around the boards. It goes, goes behind their net up to the right side. He's playing right wing and he's kind of got his back to the play. And I jumped and I hit him. Right. He goes down, he's holding his face and Zemmer's standing over going, get up. So anyway, this guy gets up and he's looking, he goes, who, that wasn't you Zimmer. He goes, no. And I'm just too stupid that I still stand in there. And he goes, was that you, you little, he called me every name from when that happened. So I got a penalty. Zemmer got a penalty for just being in between us and, and Tim Hunter got a penalty. So we were in the box, right? We're, we're carried over to the box. So Moncton at the time, little, little penalty boxes. So I'm sitting here. And Zemmer, he walks over closest to the guy sitting there because the, the, the clock guys are in between us and Hunter's sitting on his side. And Zemmer goes, move down. I go, okay. And this, this Hunter, he never stopped chirping me. I'm going to kill. He goes, kid, go off now. Quit. Go off now. Tell your coach you're done. And Zemmer's looking over. Shut up. You're, you know what? We're going. We're, and he, so, and he goes, you're going, you're going to fight for that kid. He goes, yeah, we, we don't, I'm not only his right winger. We live together. You're going down. So Zem Black and Tim Hunter scream at each other. And I, I'm just, he, and Zemmer, I swear to God, he right pushes me with his right. And he goes, just look ahead. Just look at it. Don't even look at this guy. Right. So now I, I made the sign of a cross and, and I'm looking, I'm looking straight onto the ice. I'm not there looking. Right. And they're going at it, going at it. So sure enough, the penalties are over. He goes, just go, just go. Zemmer goes, go. Right. So I get off and <laughs> right to our bench. I look back. They left their gloves and stick in the box. They didn't even make it out. And they were going at it right in front of the penalty boxes. I tell you, it was so fun. Like, it's funny now to, but that's how I remember Zemmer. Like, you know, and I said to you, the uh, social media and stuff, we, we kind of hooked up and, and, uh, and I, how I introduced myself again after 25 years to Richard, I said, Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but uh, this is when, this is Wayne grew. We played together. He goes, he goes, would you stop already? How do I, how am I forgetting you? You know, like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I was going to tell him you, you saved my life. Yeah. <laughs> like look at the career that Tim Hunter went and, and had, right. And that's one of the, you know, one of the pound for pound toughest guys in the league, but yeah, I just, funny story fun so great. a lot more funny now than when i was sitting there. <laughs> just was sitting fun. there crossing yourself yeah. out yeah. let me get across the ice let me get yeah. across the ice uh i know we, we have to let you go i just have one last question and i can't believe it's taken this long to get to it but you've been an awesome interview with some great stories thank you you won nhl game as a member of the quebec nordiques and of course it is against the montreal canadians in the forum what yeah. i, I 
I don't even know if there's a question. Just they what was yeah. it like? Because they don't it take that away from you. I, rem- yeah. I remember it. You know, uh, Crispy called me over. Sam was walking down the, the stairs in the, in the suit. And he says, well, he says, are you ready? And I go, am I ready? And he goes, yeah. He says, uh, you just got the call. You're going up. You're meeting Quebec in Montreal. You gotta, you're flying out. And I go, oh, my God. And it was a quick whirlwind or whatever. And, and uh, I flew into Montreal, um, walked, got, got into the rink. Uh, just with just with like some of my equipment right not even all of it they, they said you got your stuff from training camp I'm going geez okay you remembered me from training camp so I get there and there's my stall my name even back then hey they 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 had that and I got a dozen Sherwoods I was using cohos but dozen Sherwood sticks with my name on it first ones with my name I go, oh my god like this is it this is you know and and went out for practice uh, in the morning, morning skate, and it was it was awesome. The guys were so good. The handful of them remembered you, you know, from training camp and talking. And again, Dale Hunter and Peter Stashney, they were really, really nice, really good guys. And yeah, those two I'll, I'll remember for for a long time how nice they were to me anyway, and as a young guy. And it was good to Beller was there, Bruce Bell, and again Gillis, a younger guy. So it was nice seeing those guys. We were keeping in touch, and and then uh, yeah, the game itself. I had one shift. <laughs> I, uh, Bergeron put me out there. We were, it was a, it was one, one in the game. My shift lasted probably about 27, 28 seconds. I went out, I hit Guy Carboneau, uh, knocked him off the puck just in the, their side of center. I got the puck, I dumped it in and I went off and skated one time around kind of went off and, and that was it. That was my only shift in the NHL, but to sit on that bench, we ended up, we won three to two that game. And I remember a couple of the older guys, French guys, uh, Mario Marwa come in. He goes, "Hey kid, you're you're the key. You're the key." And 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 and, and then uh, Blake Wesley, yeah, the monkey. He yelled out, <laughs> "With the monkey, I go, well, whatever, whatever you guys got to say, I'm here to listen." So, you know, uh, but yeah, it was a funny story. That's Dale Hunter is a as a nice guy. I think that's the first time that's ever been uttered yeah. on this podcast, Popper. Really? Yeah, <laughs> he's, our, <laughs> he's our white whale. We're going to get him one of these days, but you know how. The, you know how the OHL feels about the London Knights. Well, yeah. the 19 other teams feel about the London Knights and Dale and everything. But yeah. we know what he's worth in, in hockey value for sure. And someday he'll be on this podcast too. But he'll never tell stories as well as you did today, Wayne. That's uh, fantastic. Thanks so much for doing this. You're very welcome. Anytime I'll talk hockey, anytime, guys. Thank you so much for having me. And keep doing the good work. You guys are doing a great job. Hi, I'm Emily Roger. And I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.